This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's show comes from St. Augustine's Moreland Anglican Church in Melbourne's Inner North. Today's big question, does belief in God add up? We're asking this question today to Dr. Sandy Clark Airy. Now, Sandy works as a consultant with the Statistical Consulting Centre at the University of Melbourne. She has a PhD in statistics, is an accredited statistician, and also works part-time with the Simeon Network, a network for Christian academics, and she joins me now. Please welcome Dr. Sandy Clark Airy. a rousing reception there, Sandy. Yeah. So what does it mean to be an accredited statistician? Does that mean that you've just passed an Excel proficiency course? Or is that <laughs> well, I have some Excel skills that I've got over the years, but uh, no, it really just means that a, a bunch of people from the Stats Society looked at my qualifications and my work experience and, and said, I'm qualified to do my job. Okay, well, that's good. <laughs> Which yeah. is good, yeah. So then what do you do for your job then? You work with the statistical... Sorry, how, how, how do you say that? Do that, you ever get tongue-tied saying statistics? I often say stats. That's stats, a, that's okay. Statistical Consulting Centre. So what do, you, what do you do for your job there at the Statistical mm. Consulting Centre? Yeah, sure. So my job is primarily to assist researchers at the university with stats. So typically not people studying stats, but from other research areas who need help, maybe designing a survey or an experiment, okay, analysing right. data, that kind of so thing. So other academics mm. who need some help with trying to formulate, do, do their work, but the research better, I suppose. That's right, yeah. 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 Okay, well, to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today we're talking with Dr. Sandy clark Airy about belief in God adding up. So Sandy, our smaller questions to you are about famous statisticians. Now, do you feel qualified at all? Uh, well, not really. It's a bit of a, a, a problem, I think, in teaching science is that we don't teach a lot about the history. Um, I think okay. it would be humbling for us to know a bit more about the history of our discipline. So, right. I, yeah, I'm not confident. Okay, well, we'll find out <laughs> if we'll learn much more about the history of yeah. uh, the, the statistics today. But anyway, there's two questions, both multiple choice. Question one, which famous person has been credited with telling the very first statistics joke? Now, the joke was a patient was talking with a doctor whilst lying on the couch and got cold feet. The doctor admonished him and said that before they could continue, he should place his head in a bucket of ice and his feet in a stove, and that would, on average, make him feel fine. Okay, um, it may not be a particularly good joke, but it was apparently the first one. So which famous person was this credited to? Was this A, Sigmund Freud, B, Bertrand Russell, C, Dave Hughes, or D, <laughs> no one, statisticians don't tell jokes? <laughs> I'm not sure that any of those people were statisticians anyway. Um, <laughs> I was a famous person, I suppose. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, true. Okay, that's true. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, look, I don't know. It sounds... I, I would be leaning towards A or B with that. That's a good um, idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's Thanks. good. Yeah, yeah that's good. Um, look, probably I'd say A. Yeah, and the correct answer is actually A. a. It is. <laughs> it's Sigmund Freud. That's right. I suppose maybe the, the lying on a couch thing perhaps gave yeah. it away. Yeah, yeah. So do you know many statistics jokes? Um, I don't know any off the top of my head. <laughs> They're mostly inflicted on me. Oh, yeah. right, right. oh actually, I do know one. Okay. I, I don't have to tell it. Okay, sure. I just yeah, thought you have of to. one. Actually, we'll I, see. I, I had a joke. Maybe it's um, statistics have shown us that those who have the most birthdays live longest. <laughs> uh, I, I suppose it's not really a joke, though. But anyway, no. yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. Okay, question two. Which famous statistician said, to understand God's thoughts, we must study statistics, for these are the measure of his purpose. Was mm. it A... The Apostle Paul, 
B, Galileo, C, William Shakespeare, or D, Florence Nightingale? Ah. So who said, to understand God's thoughts, we must study statistics, for these are the measure of his purpose. Okay. Can you repeat the options again? Yes, I don't so think it was a, Paul. A, the Apostle Paul. <laughs> yeah. B, Galileo. C, William Shakespeare. Or D, Florence Nightingale. You know, I'm going to say Florent, D, Florence Nightingale. Well, that's a good one to say because it's the correct, correct answer. answer. Okay. It is. That's right. <laughs> Now, Florence Nightingale was known as the lady with the lamp, but she was also known as the lady with the pie chart, for she pioneered new ways of presenting statistical information which led to radical transformations of hospital cleanliness in the, after the Crimean War in the 19th century. So, Sandy, it all adds up for you because you got two of our two smaller questions right. A big Thank round you. of applause. <laughs> So, Sandy, Florence Nightingale had a tremendously high view of statistics, and you, like Florence Nightingale, also love stats. Yeah, I do. So, what made you interested in statistics? Uh, well, yeah, to be honest, I, growing up, I didn't even really know what statistics was, hadn't been exposed to it, um, but I, I went into uni knowing that I liked maths, and so I, you know, did all the math subjects, and then in second year, they had probability and statistics subjects. I thought they sounded interesting, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, I loved them. Um, so, it, was it something that you loved instantly, or is it something you sort of grew into? Oh, I think... I think pretty much uh, from the get-go, I think I had a really good lecturer, which makes a big difference. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I just saw all the kind of maths, the, th the beautiful theory that I enjoyed in maths, kind of working out in a discipline that's really um, applicable as well, that you can, is really useful, so. Right, okay, so you really grew to love the beauty, I suppose, of it, and just to mm. love the, the fact that it worked. Useful, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Now, how do people react when you introduce them as you're someone who works in statistics? Mm, yeah, well, that's right, I do that all the time, uh, and mostly people say, um, better you than me, <laughs> okay, <laughs> is right. the answer that I get. Right, okay. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, is that, maybe that, is that because statistics are boring? I mean, in fact, there's a joke about statisticians, why did the statistician become a statistician? Because she found accountancy too exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, isn't it isn't it a bit tedious? Well, again, I, you know, I said part of what excited me about it was having a good lecturer. I think part of the problem is when you first learn statistics, like they make you calculate a mean by hand or something. And that's kind of, that is the boring part. Right. But that's the stuff that I, a computer does for me. Okay. I get to do the fun stuff of deciding what to do with the data and, and getting, working out what it's telling us. Yeah. So what yeah. are you then trying to do with statistics? What, are you, what is it trying to tell us? What are you, what are you trying to do? Hmm. Yeah, well, the general principle is is just looking for patterns in in the data that we have. So, you know, you, you, you there's there's kind of you're trying to distinguish out what's the noise and what's the signal in in the data that what we What do you mean observe. by that? The signal yeah. and the noise. What what do you mean there? Yeah, well, I could I could illustrate with an example. You know, a lot of I do a lot of medical statistics, and so they might have a medical trial where half the people randomly get a drug and half the people get a placebo. Maybe it's for um, blood pressure or something. Yeah. And you get the results from all those people, and obviously there's fluctuation in blood pressure generally and so you know you want to be able to distill what's kind of normal fluctuation and what's due to the actual treatment that you've given them so yeah. that's that's a statistician's that's job is to weight those things against each other see a, if it's, you, it's real yeah you get a confidence i suppose as to whether or not it's actually worked that's right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And i suppose i mean the example of florence nightingale is a, is a classic as well i'm not sure if yeah, you're familiar that's right. with that She's she, she was observing kind of patterns that's yeah. right yes and she worked out that the real enemy was actually diseases like cholera mm. typhus and dysentery and not battle wounds, which is what everyone was assuming that the reason that soldiers were dying. Dying from, yeah. yeah. Now, but statistics, can they be trusted? There's a classic quote, there are three kinds of mm. lies, lies, damned lies, and statistics. So can't statistics be manipulated? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I should say, 
you know, as statisticians, we never claim 100% confidence in our findings. We always, it's always a degree of confidence. And usually we kind of arbitrarily make that 95%. If we're 95%, we're kind of happy. Right. Um, but that is somewhat arbitrary. Um, we're always, yeah, working in degrees um, and working out the degree of confidence. But, yeah, that, that does assume a particular kind of distribution. It assumes our model's correct. It assumes yeah. that, you know, we've collected our data in a suitable way. I've, I've I lectured a course called Critical Thinking with Data um, at Melbourne Uni, and part of what we're trying to teach students is when they read a newspaper article and it says, nine out of ten dentists agree, um, what we want them to do is say, oh, where did they get these dentists from? How many right, dentists yeah. did they ask? Have Are they, they representative? Have, have they, they been, been paid? paid? That's yeah, right, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. So it helps us. So obviously, so some say, say that statistics can be used like a drunk uses a lamppost for support, not elimination. Um, so perhaps that's one way of, so people can perhaps lose, use statistics. Now the famed mathematician Bertrand Russell once said, mathematics, rightly viewed, possesses not only truth, but supreme beauty, cold and austere. The true spirit of delight, the exaltation, the sense of being more than man, which is the touchstone of the highest excellence, is to be found in mathematics as surely as in poetry. So do you think that there is beauty in statistics? Mm. Well, that's right. That's one of the things that attracted me to it is that I'd already loved kind of how maths worked and, and how functional it was um, and and beautiful. And th that was what attracted me uh, to statistics. Yeah. Uh, so you agree with Russell then? That yeah. there's beauty in mathematics? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so then do you look at an Excel spreadsheet the same way as, you know, a Yates or a Wordsworth poem perhaps? Well, the spreadsheet just kind of contains the data actually. When you look at a spreadsheet, Actually, the first impression is, what do I do with all this? Right. I think the, the, the beauty in statistics is turning it into something you can interpret, you know, summarising it, making an, a nice graphic, that kind of thing, so that you can actually communicate something. Right, okay. Not just a, a big Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. Okay, right. Um, now, some have said that the elegance of mathematics, or specifically its applicability to the natural world, provides evidence for God. So in 1960, physicist Eugene Wigner wrote a paper on the unreasonable effectiveness of mathematics and said... The enormous usefulness of mathematics in the natural sciences is something bordering on the mysterious and that there is no rational explanation for it. So what do you make of this? Mm. Well, yeah, I do think that it's actually pretty remarkable the, the way kind of there's sort of order in the world and particularly the way that maths functions so well in the world. You know, I remember in high school learning, um, you know, imaginary numbers and just thinking this is just a joke. You know, they've made this up to, so that they have something to test us on the exam. <laughs> right, you know? yeah. And then I get to uni and we're actually using these to, you know, do, solve integrals for real world applied maths kind of problems. Right. And, yeah. and physicists use them. You know, so, yeah, it's that kind of it seems like something we made up. Yeah. Um, and yet it actually is. Well, yeah, so I suppose that's the challenge. Understand is it, the world? Yeah. That, that's, the, that's the mysteriousness. Yeah. There's this theoretical world of mathematics, which actually then describes the real world. I mean, what do you make of that? Mm. Well, I do think that's what we would expect the world to look like with the God that we know from the Bible, that he yeah. you know, is a God of order. And I think, uh, you know, the original, uh, a lot of early scientists, that's what motivated them to, to become scientists is because they said, well, you know, God made the world and so that we actually expect there to be patterns in the way that he's made it, consistency, he's not arbitrary. And so, yeah, I, th I think there's definitely a, right. a consistency there between... Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's not necessarily a knockdown argument for the proof of God, but it's consistent with if God were an ordered God, this is what you'd expect. Yeah, that's right. Like I said, you know, it's, it's, it's degrees of evidence. <laughs> if, if it was proof, then, you know, I could convert you all with <laughs> just <laughs> by right. talking about maths, which, right. you know, obviously would be nice. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But others aren't convinced. In fact, many aren't mm. convinced. And for example, the mathematician John Allen Paulos wrote a book entitled Irreligion. A mathematician explains why arguments for God just don't add up. 
He said that he always found the various arguments for the existence of God as wanting. They all had an inherent illogic. So why is belief in God not illogical for you? Mm. Uh, well, we kind of called this bigger question, does belief in God add up? And I, th- I think that, that lines up with the way I think about my faith because I think that there are lots of different things that add up to uh, contribute to me being able to trust God. Yeah. yeah, so tell us your story then. So what? how did you then make this decision or be- mm. believe that it ad- added up? Yeah, sure. Well, I grew up in a, a Christian home, uh, which was a blessing. Actually, uh, my parents were both Christians and scientists, so that was a good, you know, to see that those two things um, working together growing up uh, was a real blessing. Uh, so is that why you're a believer today, just because you grew up in a Christian home? Uh, no, I had I had moments of doubt myself. Right. I, I remember when I was, uh, I think I was nine, going into my parents' bedroom in the middle of the night in the dark and going... I'm afraid that I don't believe in God and I think God will be mad at me. Um, so, <laughs> so that was a little, little bit of a night. Your illogical. Parents, your parents were asleep. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I woke them up. You woke them up. Yeah. How did they, how did they react? Oh, look, they were great. Um, <laughs> it was the kind of household where we were encouraged to think for ourselves. And so they said, look, you know, we believe in God, but whatever you decide, we'll keep loving you. And they were prepared to kind of help me in that journey. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So you had this kind of existential crisis at nine. Yeah, um, yeah. Then you had moved on, so you got to high school, mm. uh, then you had another crisis perhaps in your mid-teens or so, do you want to tell us about yeah. that? Yeah, well look, I was kind of trundling along reasonably happily, but you know, my friends started to notice that I was a bit different, so you know, I didn't kind of get drunk at parties, and um, when we talked about science uh, in high school, they'd kind of say, oh, what do you make of this, aren't you a Christian? Yeah. Uh, and so that was another kind of moment where I was like, oh yeah, I haven't thought about that. And, you know, they, they sort of bombard me with questions and I kind of found myself thinking, oh, yeah, I haven't thought about that. So what were some of the questions that you were bombarded with that forced um, you to think? Well, yeah, look, sci- uh, evolution and Christianity was a big one, obviously, because we were starting to learn that at school. I think always the question of suffering. People ask, you know, things that are happening in their lives or in the world generally don't seem consistent with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this started to kind of put some seeds of doubt in your mind? Um, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I was, I was yeah. Um, cause to question. Yeah, and so what happened? How did you resolve that, or did you, as you embarked on this sort of quest? Yeah, so to quest speak, for truth. Quest for yeah, truth. that's right. Um, oh, look, I think one of the things that kind of kept me going at those times was that I felt like the people I really loved and respected in my life, my my parents, my sister. I had youth leaders and, and school chaplain. They they were all Christians. And so I think I thought, look, these they're smart people. I love and respect them. They're not idiots, you know, there must yeah, be something there must in be this. Something here. Yeah, yeah, so that that's when I sort of started yeah, reading more, seeking out answers for myself, because mm-hmm. I felt, yeah, there must be something in yeah. this. Yeah. The, the yeah. science one was a big one for you, I because you went to university and studied you went to uni- science? Studied, yeah. studied science. Yeah, science. So degree. so how yeah. did you what did, what was your thinking on that? Yeah. Well look I I mean I think it's I think I found the more I explored, the more there is a consistency, as I already said, um, between uh, science and Christianity. I think I think they're kind of dealing with different aspects. So, you know, just because we understand the mechanism of something doesn't um, mean that we understand, you know, where our world came from or why our world exists. And so I think, yeah, Christianity is dealing with that question. Yeah. Um, yeah, so one's dealing with mechanisms, one dealing with sort of meaning, I suppose. Meaning, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When did you kind of come to a resolution? on your, you know, these doubts in your mind? Oh, I mean, it's a continual um, journey, I suppose, uh, in terms of, you know, I think, I think when I first went to uni, that was a really good time because I was really 
kind of dying to um, have my questions answered. And I found the Christian group on campus really gave me an, an opportunity to ask my questions and to find answers in the Bible. So I really got to know the Bible more. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was eager so to... So you actually found answers in the Bible? Mm, yeah, yeah, that's right. As I read it, 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 it lined up with what I'd kind of experienced in the world and knew about myself. It kind yeah. of added up, added up, so to Add, speak. Yeah, so to speak. <laughs> so, so do you place it in a confidence interval on your faith? Uh, well, um, I'd probably have to make a lot of assumptions to put a number to it. Okay. It'd, be, it'd be high. It'd be higher than 95%. Higher than 95%. Yeah. So you know, fairly solidly believe. Um, so when do you think that it... What, what moment then do you think that it sufficiently added up for you? That you think, actually, this is something for me. This is something that I can believe. Oh, look, as I said, it was quite gradual. But right. yeah, probably there were moments... I think moments when the doubt would arise and I would... I would find when I read the Bible, actually, it would reassure me in my doubts. So that, yeah. Right, yeah. okay. <laughs> now, now, perhaps surprisingly, there is actually a book in the Bible called Numbers. Mm. Now, Sandy, as a statistician, is this your favourite book of the Bible? <laughs> um, admit, I have to admit, um, probably not. It's, it's a <laughs> bit dry. I think it benefits from reading fast. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. Okay. Well, some readers do find the book maybe perhaps a bit dreary as it does contain long lists of names and numbers. Now, the book starts by locating the people of Israel in the desert of Sinai after leaving slavery in Egypt. The Lord speaks to their leader Moses and says in Numbers 1 verse 2, he says, take a census of the whole Israelite community by their clans and families, listing every man by name, one by one. You and Aaron are to count, according to their divisions, all the men of Israel who are 20 years or more and able to serve in the army. Now, I suppose a census is a mm. statistician's kind of version of heaven. Um, <laughs> but what do you make of this? It seems like the Lord God is actually demanding statistics here. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, look, I think in part he's just wanting to demonstrate to them, you know, that he's rescued them and, and he wants them to, to count that and realise how many people he's saved from Egypt. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's just good practice to kind of know how many people are in your nation. That's yeah. why we do censuses, so we kind of make sure we've got the kind of, you know, resources available to support our society and that yeah. kind of thing. So what yeah. else do you think this reveals about God and his purposes? Mm. Well, I think it reveals something that kind of is different about the way statisticians think in that we really see that God actually cares about the individuals. Like he, he it's, there's lots of times in the Bible where it talks about God knowing us by name. Um, when I get sent a data set, um, which is like got, you know, based on a row per person, they usually take the name off um, for confidentiality and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and to, to some extent, you know, I say, oh, this many people died in this group, this many people died. You know, and I actually kind of switch off the fact that these are actual people and just get on with the analysis. But that's not the way that God thinks about, yeah, in, the, in these things. It's quite clear that he actually really cares about those people. And when someone dies, that, you know, it when a sparrow it. falls, yeah, God, <laughs> yeah, yeah. God cares. I suppose there's yeah. also there's a sense of orderliness as well to mm. the way that God wants to create or to understand his nation, so to speak. That's right. Yeah. Just like we were saying, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. In mathematics, there's that kind of order. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So order continues in the book of Numbers as it describes not just census numbers of people, but also the way the camp should be set up, how special priestly rituals and regulations and ceremonies should be established, and how, even how the people should live. So how do you think this points towards something of the character of God? Mm. Well, I think in part he wants his people to be distinctive and, and you know, uh, the rest of the nations to see that they're, you know, a nation that's, that's got a God that cares about them, cares about the specifics and the orderliness of that. Yeah, mm. yeah. He wants us to worship him rightly. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Well, Florence Nightingale saw a connection between statistics and the character of God. She said the true foundation of theology is to ascertain the character of God. It is by the art of statistics 
that law in the social sphere can be ascertained and codified and certain aspects of the character of God thereby revealed. The study of statistics is thus a religious service. So do you agree with Florence Nightingale at this point? Oh, I mean, in the same way, anything that you, you know, um, any kind of work that you can do can be um, serving God. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't single out statistics exclusively. Right, okay. But she saw, I suppose, <laughs> that there's an art of statistics because it codifies the social sphere and therefore sort of reveals, in some respects, the character of God, which perhaps connects with what we've talked about before, about the, the order of God, that it's consistent with what we see, not just in his character, but also the mathematics, but also in, in the social sphere as well. Well, that's right. We can certainly use statistics for great good, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then you, do you consider your work as a statistician, as religious service? Well, yeah, I think I do, as I said, a lot of medical kind of statistics. Actually, without the statistician, you know, we wouldn't be able to determine whether a treatment is working or not. I think that that's, you know, a really great way to love people is to, is to do good science and, and I think good quality research, yeah. And good quality research is, is predicated on good stats. Correct, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right, right. yeah. yeah. So God is ordered and orderly, and he's made an ordered world. That's what mathematics and the scriptures indicate. But this is only part of the reason for why belief in God adds up for you. Um, because more is revealed in the, book, in the New Testament book of Acts, now the description of the early church. Uh, the Apostle Peter makes a speech where he says in Acts 2, 22 to 23, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, helped put to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, this, again, speaks about a plan and foreknowledge. So, mm. does this help us assist in describing God's orderliness? I think it does, yeah. I mentioned that my friends, one of the questions they asked is, you know, how can God exist when there's kind of suffering, suffering and bad things happening in the world? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a fair question um, because it doesn't add up. Like a good God who, who has the power to change these things, why doesn't he? But I think what these kind of passages in Acts and, you know, the death of Christ are doing is, is illustrating to us that God's plan is, is bigger than our plan. So sometimes, you know, on a kind of small level, there seems to be this kind of lack of order, kind of yeah. a chaos, a mess in, in the world. Um, but it's, it's part of God's bigger plan um, right. to set that right. So this was significant for you then, was it? Understanding the death of Jesus in the context of why there's suffering in the world? Yeah, that's right. Because in the death of Jesus, it seems like a really terrible thing. It said in Acts, you know, it's, it's done by wicked people. You know, mm. that, that's a, it's a terrible thing. Jesus died an yeah. innocent man. <laughs> With the help of wicked men, yeah. put to death by nailing him to the cross. I mean, that's, that's, right. pretty, that's pretty violent. A horrific pretty... death, that's right, yeah. But um, in doing that, actually, you know, Jesus, when he was, you know, hanging on the cross, said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And actually, his, that's what his death was achieving, was um, actually forgiveness and, and life uh, for us. That's, right. So that's, you know, what seems like a terrible thing, actually, um, being God working for good. That's part of his um, sort of a broader, broader plan, right. so to speak. Yeah. Mm. Now, but according to this passage, Jesus didn't stay dead. He says in verse 24, but God raised him from the dead. Now, you're a sciencey, mathsy kind of person. People say that resurrections are impossible. In fact, some like Richard Carrier use probability theory, like Bayes' mm. theorem, yeah, I've read these ideas. to demonstrate yeah. that not only was Jesus not raised from the dead, but that he didn't even exist at all. So aren't resurrections too improbable? 
Yeah, well, I've read some of those articles and I think you have to make a lot of assumptions, kind of prior probabilities, um, which make them fairly subjective. But yeah. what, do you, what do you mean by that? What do, you, what do you have to do with prior probabilities? Oh, you have to m- assign a probability to different events happening, like, you know, the chance of someone rising from the dead. Yeah, or, that's pretty know, low, though, isn't it? The chance of, I mean, it's probably well, zero, isn't it? The well, chance of someone rising yeah. from the dead? Then, well, that's the, the thing I find. A lot of people, when they talk about the resurrection, they want to know how many witnesses there were. But my sciencey friends basically just say... That doesn't happen. That's not... You die, you die. That's, that's right. That's it's, it's going against science is, is what they would say. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's the nature of a miracle. Mostly when they say that, I say, yeah, people don't come back from the dead. That's, yeah. It's not normal. <laughs> that's, this is a supernatural event. Yeah. And, um, but you're a yeah. kind of sciencey person, though, so how, how do you resolve that? Well, I tend to think about it in terms of kind of closed and open systems in science. You know, if, if you dropped your iPad, we would expect it to hit the ground. That would, you know, be what the law of gravity would would yes, tell us yep, yep, yep. Um, but um if i caught it as you dropped it would you say that the law of gravity no longer applies or that i defied it <laughs> it's more that i've in, i've intervened. intervened in what would have otherwise been a closed system but i've intervened to to change you know what the law would have done yeah uh, so i just think we need to imagine a bigger system and yeah. god's the one intervening in in the resurrection so h- of how Jesus. does that apply in the resurrection then that's well, I think that was God coming and um, raising Ra- Jesus from the dead in a supernatural, miraculous yeah. act, yes. yeah. well, changing in- the course of history. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what it says mm. in verse 24, but God raised him from the mm. dead. So then, is the resurrection of Jesus significant for you then? Yeah, well, I think, it, it, again, it, it's sort of more evidence that adds up, um, and because, I, because it shows that Jesus wasn't an ordinary man, that, that he wasn't sinful like me, you know, when he... When he died, he, he didn't have to die for his own um, sin, so he, he could rise again. Um, it talks about him, his life being, you know, incorruptible. Yeah. Uh, and also, yeah, it, it, it gives me hope for future life because, as I said, it's, this is a shift now. You know, death is not the end. Mm. Um, and so that's the hope that I have as well mm. Um, mm. in life after death. Mm. So what difference then has accepting the Christian faith made to you? Well, yeah, being able to kind of grow in my confidence in God in that, yeah. that percentage going up. Um, it, you, don't, you don't try to put a percentage on no, it. No, I don't. don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, my but confidence I, interval in God today is 97.5%. Yeah, no, no, that's no. right. But I can tell when it's going up. Um, right. <laughs> I think one of the big ways in which I see it is, you know, when I was a, in high school and sitting exams, I, I basically couldn't sleep before an exam because I would just be so anxious about the results uh, whereas this was, this was when you were in high school yeah that's right and and but as I kind of got to know um, God better understood his goodness in the Bible I actually realized even if I fail an exam that's not actually the end of me that God's God's got this um, I can trust him with my future in fact if I fail that's his plan for me and whatever comes out of my life from that that's I can trust him yeah. with that yeah. uh, so that's that's a change I see in my yeah. life and so now you can sleep before big projects or big exams or other things that you've got yeah that's right well thankfully I don't have to sit exams <laughs> anymore but yeah no, you've got no, a PhD I, I suppose you set them yeah that's, that's right. right yes exactly so I, suppose I it, mark so, them yeah. so to you it's reassuring then that you're no longer just a number in God's sight but you're actually mm. known by him that's right yeah I always was yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that gives you peace and confidence that's right yeah yeah, yeah. um so, Sandy, does belief in God add up? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah? And for you, it's a cumulative case, so to that's speak? That's right. Yeah, that's right. I think the weight of evidence is definitely in favour of God existing and particularly um, the God in the Bible that we know through mm. Jesus. Well, let me mm. leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question, does belief in God add up? 
from Acts 2, 22 to 23. Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, Dr. Sandy clark Erie. Thank you. <laughs> Hi everyone, Rob Martin here, host of Bigger Questions. Thanks for listening to another episode. We hope you enjoyed the show. Now this year we're wanting to hear more from you, our podcast listeners. What do you love about the show? What are the bigger questions that you have? How have the conversations on this podcast affected your own conversations about the bigger questions of life? We'd love to know as we really want the show to help create bigger and better conversations in our world. Now, if you have some big questions you'd like us to tackle, let us know through the link on our website, biggerquestions.org, or send us a message on the Facebook page. We'd love to hear the big questions that you're asking. Now, it was great to hear from one of our listeners, Sarah Griffian, late last year, who recommended Bigger Questions on Facebook. Now, she said, great discussions, enjoy listening to the podcasts on my way to work. Thanks. Well, Sarah, we're so glad that we can make your work trip more interesting, and thanks for recommending us on Facebook. So please let us know where you listen to Bigger Questions. Who do you share it with? We'd love to hear how it stimulated discussion of the bigger questions in our world. Now, if you think we need more quality conversations and want to invest in bigger thinking, well, why not support us on Patreon? For as little as US $1 a podcast, you can help us create better discussions around the bigger questions of life. Well, anyway, well, thanks again for listening. Hope to hear from you soon and tune in again next week where we hear from journalist Greg Sheridan about why God is good for you. It's a cracking conversation, and I can't wait to bring it to you. So thanks for listening, and remember, as always, to keep asking the bigger questions.